Hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast, where each week I explore a different topic to help you feel more confident and connected to your work as a dietitian. I'm your host, Jess Sertikoff Ramola, a fellow dietitian and the owner of Empowering Dietitians, a supervision business devoted to working with dietitians just like you. Who are tired of the status quo of our profession and are ready to reclaim their confidence, purpose, and passion. In today's episode, I'm talking about the phrase that can make so many of us uncomfortable, white supremacy. And not just white supremacy, but specifically about how it is directly contributing to burnout culture for us as dietitians. Because until we can stop the pretenses and start talking about the actual uncomfortable root of this burnout issue, nothing is going to get better. So over the past uh, month or so, I've given two talks on burnout's systemic roots. And in both of those, I brought up the concept of white supremacy and how it relates to the burnout that we experience as dietitians. And I figured since it was a topic of conversation that was requested uh, from both of the conferences that I spoke at, it was probably time to talk about it on here. Plus when I was planning out my episodes for June and I was looking at the dates, I saw that one episode was going to publish on Juneteenth. Now in an ideal world, I would have loved to have welcomed on a guest with lived experience to talk through white supremacy and burnout characteristics, Juneteenth, all of the, the things. But um, I don't plan my podcast episodes far enough in advance. And I don't have a budget yet for paying any of my guests, which is fairly typical for podcasts, although something that I would love to be able to change. Um, and asking one of my Black colleagues last minute to come on and provide free labor so that my white person hosted podcast could have like a Juneteenth episode, that felt pretty icky. So here we are, solo episode. Um, and because of that, I'm going to start this off with a pretty necessary disclaimer. I feel like all my juicy episodes have disclaimers. Um, and that disclaimer is that I am white. Surprise. Um, if this is the first time that you're hearing the term white supremacy culture or how it relates to burnout, make sure that this is not the last time. While I absolutely delve into it more with the dietitians who hire me as a supervisor, I'm still white and I will never be the authority on white supremacy culture because I will probably forever be working to disentangle myself from it. As much as I wish I could say I'm fully disentangled, I know that that's not true. So I will share what I know and what I've learned, and I will remind us all that it is our obligation to continue investing in our own education and unlearning, especially from people with different backgrounds and lived experiences from our own. So I hope that this is a conversation starter. I hope it is the beginning, right? Not the end. So let's dive right in. Um, when we talk about white supremacy culture, it, it, I've talked about white supremacy on the podcast, but I haven't actually gone through the, the cultural characteristics of it. Um, and it's something that a lot of the dietitians who I work with, when I talk to them about it, especially in my group, we have like a whole 
like video module on it, uh, they're often surprised because we don't talk about it quite a bit. But when I actually list out the characteristics, they resonate with them with them pretty well. So I want to list out all of the different characteristics. I'll also, of course, uh, link to resources in uh, the show notes. Um, and then we'll kind of dive into how this relates to burnout. So the characteristics, I'm just going to read them, um, of white supremacy culture include perfectionism, sense of urgency, defensiveness, quantity over quality, worship of the written word, only one right way, uh, paternalism, either or thinking, it's black and white thinking, power hoarding, fear of open conflict, individualism slash like I'm the only one mentality, progress is bigger or more, objectivity, and right to comfort. Now, without any elaboration, some of these are probably a little vague or you're not sure exactly what they mean, but just without any further elaboration, just naming them. How many of these can you relate to? How many of them do you experience in your life? Either values that you hold or ones that you feel pressured to adhere to because of society? My guess is a number of them. That's usually the response that I get. Certainly the perfectionism one tends to jump out. Now, in order to have a conversation around uh, burnout and white supremacy culture, and you're like, just please connect these things because it seems like you're talking about two very different concepts. Um, in order to draw that bridge, I want to group them together a bit more. Now, this is not a formal grouping of them, um, and it's pretty hard to accurately group them because they're all pretty interrelated, but this is simply a way to organize our conversation around these traits and how they influence dietitian burnout, right? So uh, I've grouped some of these characteristics under an umbrella category of like the pressure to quote unquote succeed. And that includes perfectionism, progress being defined as bigger and more, a sense of urgency, quantity over quality, and individualism or that I'm the only one mentality. Then there is another kind of category of this pressure to conform. That's where we get the worship of the written word, only one right way, objectivity, and either or thinking. And then lastly, we have the resistance to equity. I probably should have come up with a, a witty, the pressure to blank so that they were all the same, but I didn't. I think the resistance to equity feels more accurate. Um, and that's where we get things like paternalism, power hoarding. Again, a little bit of that individualism and I'm the only one here too. Um, again, like I said, they're all kind of interrelated. It's hard to parse them out from each other um, as well as defensiveness, right to comfort and fear of open conflict. Now, again, there are a lot of ways that we can talk about these characteristics, how they influence us as dietitians overall, where they show up in our lives, how they were taught to us. Today, I want to focus on how they contribute to burnout culture. Because again, talked about multiple times on this podcast, burnout is not an individual problem. 
And we need to stop talking about it like it's some deficit of the individual, some shortcoming, and start recognizing the fact that we live in a culture that makes it basically inevitable um, if we're going to actually see some change. Right. So let's take a look at those kind of umbrella categories and break down some of uh, these characteristics. Again, this is a really big conversation. This is a bird's eye view that we're getting today. So let's take a look at that pressure to succeed. Now, before I say anything, pause. I, you can actually pause this podcast if you want and think, what are your initial thoughts? How might the pressure to succeed and all of these words that I threw out at you uh, make you more prone to burning out? Perfectionism, quantity over quality, uh, sense of urgency, individualism, things like that. Right? Have you had time to think? All right, let's talk about it. Um, I'm curious to know if your uh, inklings match up with what I'm gonna talk about here. And if they're different, I would love to hear from you because again, there's a bird's eye view conversation. There's so much that we could be talking about here. Um, let's talk about perfectionism first. I think that one's uh, pretty easy for us to see how it leads to burnout because we experience it so intimately. Um, perfectionism is generally this feeling of never being good enough and always having to be improving. So we're constantly working and piling more on and trying to prove ourselves and we're not good enough as we are, right? Then on top of that, we have things like quantity over quality and progress is defined as bigger or more. That's going to push us to constantly be taking on more piling more on our plates, saying yes, trying to churn out more output um, all the time. Then we have a sense of urgency where if everything is important, everything is urgent, everything is a fire that needs to be put out, um, how are you supposed to prioritize the stuff on your to-do list? How are you supposed to say no? when everything is a big deal. So you don't say no, you say yes. You have a hard time prioritizing, you have a hard time sticking with your boundaries, you say yes and you pile more on. And then on top of all of this, like pushing and piling and saying yes, we get this individualism piece, the I'm the only one, where we have a really hard time delegating because we're the only ones that do it right. If we don't do it, it doesn't get done. and. There's no support. We don't have a culture that embraces reaching out for help. If you can do it yourself, it's better. If you have to ask someone, it's weak, right? So not only are we pushing, 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 but we're not asking for help. And this leads to us having a hard time saying no, pressure to constantly be working towards something and measuring our success by growth and achievement. So we'll keep pushing and keep piling and keep isolating ourselves until we're absolutely exhausted, right? But of course, that's not the only category that's contributing to the burnout. How about that pressure to conform? Again, I want you to pause here before I say anything. I want you to think, how might the pressure to conform lead to burnout culture? This one I think is possibly the trickiest one to wrap our heads around it. It doesn't feel as intuitive. Um, there are also some 
some of the traits in here where you might not be exactly sure. Things like worship of the written word or objectivity, only one right way, right? But pause, gather your thoughts, brainstorm a little bit, actively participate in this one. All right, are you ready? So this one is more about uh, the propensity towards imposter thoughts and how these characteristics uh, breed imposter thoughts um, or contribute to not having a sense of belonging or of pushing yourself to operate in a way that doesn't work as well for your brain or your values or your like way of living, which in turn can impact burnout. So imposter feelings, again, feeling like you don't belong, you're unqualified, you have to prove yourself, you constantly are trying to show the world that you belong and that you're qualified. You're constantly trying to prove to yourself that you belong. And that leads you to saying yes and pushing yourself and putting more on your plate, right? Um, and then working hard to try to conform or live up to professional standards. If your brain doesn't work the same way as that quote unquote, like standard way of thinking, then you're gonna be expected to try to change how your brain works. And that's pretty stressful and pretty overwhelming and pretty exhausting to try to live up to some professional standards that are hard for you. So let's break it down a little bit more um, into these different categories um, so, or different traits, I should say. So the worship of the written word, uh, there is a lot that goes into this, but when I, think of this, I think of intellectualism, right? Um, expectations for how we communicate and what is considered professional and what is considered academic and how we're supposed to like comport ourselves um, and communicate. And if your brain works a little differently, if you don't, if you're not as strong of a written word communicator, maybe you're more, you're better at forging relationships or you have a different strength that's not valued as much. Uh, when there's only one right way, again, it's going to make sure that there's no room for other ways of working or believing or valuing or thinking. So there's little support for dietitians who take non-traditional paths. There are harsh penalties for rocking the boat. And we wind up upholding this idea of professionalism, which makes me cringe all over because all professionalism is, is oppressive standards for how a quote-unquote professional person should look, behave, or speak, right? And again, when you're trying to exist in an authentic way, when you yourself don't match the standards that society has put out, it's exhausting to try to fit in. We also wind up with objectivity. Again, that kind of goes along with this fact that there's only one correct way to think um, and defining professionalism through stoicism, right? So you can't be emotional. I can't tell you how many times I'm such an emotional human. Um, crying is weak. You can't cry at your job. You better get a hold on your emotions. I was sat down. Granted, I was a very emotional human at this point, but I was sat down. I think it was my, it was my senior year of college by one of the professors because I got really upset about something and I was crying privately in her office, but I was crying. She was like, you better get a hold on this because you can't do this when you're a dietitian. It is completely unprofessional. Um, and 
That's because we've decided that showing emotion is unprofessional. We have to be objective. We have to be robots. We have to be stoic. And this either or thinking uh, that goes along with this pressure to conform is kind of this oversimplification of issues, including burnout, by the way. Um, it increases the sense of urgency, which feeds into burnout, which we talked about above, and it ignores nuance. So it boxes people into labels or ways of working that may not feel right, right? And lastly, in addition to the pressure to conform, the, the pressure to like, quote unquote, succeed, we have resistance to equity. And I wanna invite you one more time to pause. We have here traits like paternalism, power hoarding, defensiveness, right to comfort and fear of open conflict. How might these traits lead to burnout? How might a resistance to equity, first of all, what do you think that means? And how might that relate to burnout? So pause, gather your thoughts, come up with your own hypotheses. All right, are you ready? Now this one, when I go through them individually, I want you to keep in mind that this one is all about power dynamics and how resistant those in power are to acknowledging their own contributions to the burnout of their workers. So when we aren't acknowledging the true root issues of burnout, which is also a whole other episode, <laughs> we aren't going to treat it effectively or accurately. So that's what I want you to keep in mind here. So let's talk about paternalism first. Um, it, when I think about paternalism, I think about patriarchy and uh, patriarchy and burnout is a whole other episode. But what paternalism really is when you kind of read through it is it's all about how decisions are made. And essentially to quote the lovely musical Hamilton, who's in the room when it happens? Who is present when decisions are being made? So we can think about things like when dietitians are not represented at the decision-making table, are their needs being taken into account? And how might that impact our workload? How might that impact um, reimbursement? And how does reimbursement then impact our risk for burnout? It does, by the way. Um, how does it impact our client load and expectations for our work level? If we're not in the room when it happens, Right? And that's a, that's a very, uh, I almost want to say privileged way of looking at this, because then, of course, we also have to have the conversation of when we as a profession are having conversations, who's in the room when it happens, given that 80% of us are white. Um, and I don't have the statistics on how many of us are cisgender, heterosexual, um, able-bodied, straight size, you name all the other privileges. Who's in the room when we're making decisions as a profession? And how is that going to disproportionately impact the dietitians among us who don't hold as much privilege as the majority of dietitians have, right? So we can look at the layers of this too. And when it comes to kind of like who's, in the room when it happens, how are these decisions made? Let's talk about power, because power hoarding is the next piece of this. Now, the concept of power hoarding is all about promoting competition because power is a finite resource that you have to grab and hold on to. Those in power 
start to resist change because they feel threatened by the mere suggestion that change is necessary, right? Um, so they are not going to want to uh, embrace change because it threatens their power and they want to hold on to their power because it's a finite resource, so they say. Um, and so they're not going to want to pay attention to whether or not the organization is setting workers up to burn out in the first place. And power hoarding teaches us all power over dynamics. That is that it promotes competition, which is where individualism fits into this piece too, right? Because solving burnout becomes isolated as an individual problem because we, we're resisting this uh, systemic approach or this perspective that it's the system that's the issue, not the individual. We don't want to talk about that. So we say, well, you're the one that's burnt out. You should fix it. So uh, we have a hard time with framing the problem, but we also have a hard time with the solution because in power hoarding, when individualism comes in, seeking support again, like we said, is viewed as a weakness. So dietitians wind up viewing like the DIY self-help route as the most appealing one. Why would they hire someone to help them when they can just do it themselves, right? Because that's what we've been taught forever is the most admirable way. And they wind up struggling for longer and perpetuating the same like isolation and individualistic dynamics that led to burnout in the first place. And then the last piece of this kind of resistance to equity, we talked about the power hoarding, we talked about uh, the individualism and the paternalism. We have to talk about the defensiveness, the right to comfort and the fear of open conflict. Uh, so in a white supremacist society like ours, uh, or I should say a white supremacist culture society like ours, uh, criticism of the status quo is discouraged or punished. Uh, everything is centered around preventing discomfort and hurt feelings specifically amongst those in power um, who either have the power or hold a lot of privilege. And that means that systemic issues wind up getting swept under the rug or brushed off or blamed on the individual, right? Because we're, we're defensive, we're resisting the idea of open conflict, and we don't want to face our own discomfort. And when I say our, I really mean the system overall, right? Anyone who stirs the pot is seen as out of line. So again, nothing changes. Nothing gets better because the people in power don't want it to. Again, for more on this episode, uh, or for more on this, I should say, uh, you can take a look at episode 84, Rest is Not a Solution to Burnout, where I talk a lot about these systemic influences and why we wound up with rest and self-care as the primary solutions to burnout when really what we need is systemic change. Right. Now, as we wrap up today, this conversation, I have to acknowledge is only scratching the surface. This is what I, I, I think a 20 minute episode, a 30 minute episode, it's on the shorter side um, because it's not gonna give us all of the solutions. My hope is that it helps us all understand what we're really dealing with when we talk about dietitian burnout so that we can stop wasting our time with interventions that are destined to fail and we can start focusing on what's actually going to make a difference. And that's dismantling the oppressive systems that create burnout culture in the first place. 
That means rejecting individualism and committing ourselves to community care, challenging our own internalization of white supremacy culture, including perfectionism and a sense of urgency, including defensiveness and that discomfort with discomfort and reworking power structures and dynamics as a profession, right? We have a lot of work to do as a profession overall, and hopefully extending that even larger than us to society as a whole. And again, uh, this can feel overwhelming, especially uh, this is almost opening a Pandora's box sometimes of like, well, now what am I supposed to do? Where do I even start with this? Now I, I get it, I can see how these things influence us as dietitians, but what am I supposed to do? Reach out, let's chat. It's quite literally the purpose of empowering dietitian supervision. Do I give the speech at the end of every episode? Can you tell that I'm really passionate about this? <laughs> the whole purpose of what I do is to create a space for dietitians to change the culture of our profession, not only for us, also for the future generations of dietitians to come. Do you feel stuck in your body image work? Lots of dietitians do. Let's face it, we weren't really prepared to help our clients navigate the messy emotions and societal pressures that get wrapped up in body image. And that can leave us spinning our wheels when it comes to truly helping our clients. That's why I'm hosting a one-time only opportunity, my summer supervision series on body image. I've teamed up with Brie Campos from Body Image with Brie to bring dietitians the most affordable body image counseling skills training ever. Join me July through September for a monthly small group support call to work through all of your body image counseling conundrums. And You'll also get access to Bree's popular self-study trainings, Body Image Bootcamp. July is coming up quickly and spots are limited, so head on over to empoweringdietitians.com slash body-image-supervision to secure your spot. That's www.empoweringdietitians.com slash body-image-supervision. And as always, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast. If you enjoy these episodes, it would mean the world to me if you could share them with your dietitian friends. And if you listen on Apple Music or Spotify, leave a rating and review. This helps the podcast reach more dietitians so that we can really create a collective of dietitians who feel confident and connected both to their work and each other.